A few weeks ago, some of us were hanging out in the kitchen chatting, and Vicky mentioned to us that her father told her that the perfect homily can be done in seven minutes. <laughs> and so for me, I must confess that was a bit difficult because I'm Baptist, and so the sermon can go about 45 minutes to an hour, and you need at least five minutes to say thank you and to say hi to everybody. Hey, mommy. And you know, you gotta work your nerves out a little bit, tell a few jokes, and if, if you were like my father and as being a singing preacher, you'd sing a few songs for the people. <laughs> but ecumenism is part of our rule of life here. <laughs> they knew what they were doing, and so we learned from one another, and I promise I will not keep you too long. But won't you pray with me? Oh God, before whom all hearts lie open, unto whom desire is eloquent, and from whom no secret thing is hidden. Purify our hearts by the outpouring of your spirit, that we may love you with a perfect love and praise you as you deserve. Amen. And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Journey with me as we explore a kingdom not from this world. As many of you know, I am a first-year seminary student at Virginia Union, as Janie mentioned. And one of the required classes for first-year students is Introduction to Ministry and Context. And in this class, we examine the meaning and the purpose and the role of the church and its ministry. And it's also designed to help us adjust to seminary education, so we spend a lot of time in group formation and working on group projects. And so one of the most interesting and unexpected things about this class is that it forces us to examine issues and beliefs that may impact our ministry. Our readings, discussions, and assignments expose deeply rooted beliefs and even misconceptions and brings them to the surface in a way that forces self-reflection and examination whether we're ready for it or not. And so I must confess that I'm in one of those spaces right now. I'm questioning and pushing my beliefs, and so I'm going to beg your patience and thank you in advance for helping me work this thing out and letting me practice on you a little bit. Um, so one of my group assignments is to do a presentation and a critical review of Henry Nouwen's The Wounded Healer. Have any of you read it? I know Henry Nouwen can be a favorite among here. Um, but for those of you who haven't, Henry Nouwen was a Catholic priest and a professor and a psychologist and theologian. And oddly enough, his last placement before he passed was at, um, was at, a, at a home in Richmond Hill, Ontario. I'm like, did you know that? Richmond Hill? I thought, I got a kick out of that. But anyway. Um, so the Wounded Healer explores what it means to be a minister in contemporary society, and it's specifically written to ministers who are questioning their relevance and their efficacy in a world that deems traditional methods of Christian outreach and evangelism ineffective. And that word ineffective got to me. Henry Nouwen argues that the language of traditional Christianity has lost its liberating power for those who live in the modern age. That was hard for me to digest. What do you mean that the language of traditional Christianity has lost its liberating power? To me, scripture is the language of Christianity, so saying that scripture has lost its liberating power is downright heretical. And then I had to remind myself, okay, remember he's a Christian, he's a priest, he loves Jesus. 
I trust my professor, so let's try this again. <laughs> and so I read it again. The language of traditional Christianity has lost its liberating power for those who live in the modern age. It still hurts, <laughs> it still hurts. I thought to myself, no, the word does not come back void. And that reaction surprised me. Because I kind of thought of that statement, the word does not come back void, as a church cliche that people say when they're feeling uneasy about a sermon or, or trying to evangelize, and they say, well, you know, the word doesn't come back void, so as long as you preach the gospel, you're all right. But I, I don't think I ever even uttered that phrase myself. I'd heard it, but I'd never used it until I read that statement. And it, and, and it bothered me, and it really, I was wrestling with it for a while. And then I realized that Henry Nouwen wasn't talking about scripture being ineffective. He was talking about the language we use as Christians and ministers to share the hope of the gospel. But the statement still hurts. How can the language of traditional Christianity, how can the hope of heaven and eternal life with God be ineffective? I was reading an article in National Geographic that says the religiously unaffiliated, called nuns, I think some of you have heard people talk about nuns, um, they're growing significantly. They're the second largest religious group in North America and most of Europe. In the United States, nuns make up almost a quarter of the population. And in the past decade, the, the U.S. nuns have overtaken Catholics, mainline Protestants, and all followers of non-Christian faiths. So now one is right. Things have changed. Something about the way we try to reach others with the hope of the gospel isn't working. And that's the question that I brought to this gospel narrative this, this, uh, this evening. If the language we use to describe the hope of heaven is ineffective, what needs to change? I believe there must be a way to connect our mystical, supernatural, abstract beliefs about heaven with words and actions that can be employed in the concrete here and now. And since we're preparing to enter Advent next week when we will look and wait for the coming king, what better time to practice how we share the hope of the kingdom? So come with me now as we explore a kingdom not from this world, for a people not from this world, who follow a king that is not from this world. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. That's a pretty bold statement. Sometimes I feel like we've gotten so used to the abstract and mystical supernatural language of the Bible that we brush right past it. Or maybe it's that the metaphors and the similes are so abstract that we don't really know what to do with them. We see it in today's lectionary when John writes, look, he's coming with the clouds. He's referring to Daniel chapter 7, 13, which reads, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. That's a beautiful image, isn't it? But how do we make that real to those who aren't already believers? You know, Jesus knows that this stuff is hard for us to grasp. That's why he takes time to explain the meaning of the parables when he says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed or a treasure hidden in a field or leaven. If we're going to help awaken people to the kingdom that is not from this world, the first thing we have to do is get comfortable with the mystery. There's no way around it. If we're talking about a kingdom that is not from this world, we have to get comfortable sharing experiences that are not from this world. Don't shy away from it. Talk about it. You know, this is Richmond Hill. We love this mysticism stuff. It's the fun part, right? You know, have angels ever come to comfort you in times of sickness and grief? Have you ever had visions of being with Christ in his sacred garden or danced in his throne room in worship? Have you ever prayed all night long and had a note from heaven come with scripture to comfort you? I know I have. And so if you have these things, talk about them. The mystery leaves room for us to imagine. No one description or encounter can hold all of what heaven is, 
but we need to talk about our, other, our otherworldly encounters as clearly as we can and as convincingly as we can so others might believe. And once we get comfortable talking about the mystery of the kingdom that is not of this world, we begin to understand what it means to be a people not from this world and how we should operate in this place. When we look at the text, we see Jesus makes two comments about kingdom followers, what they would do if they were from this world and what they actually do to show they belong to him. First, he says, if my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. And that but means Jesus does not need us to fight for him the, world, the way this world fights. We see in the verses preceding today's text and in Matthew's gospel account when Jesus tells Peter, put your sword back in its place, for he had just cut Malchus's ear. Put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scripture be fulfilled? Now, 12 legions of angels is over 72,000 angels. I had to look up what legion meant. But can you imagine that? Just a sea of angels surrounding 72,000 of them. Jesus has this whole army of heaven at his disposal, so he doesn't need to, for us, he doesn't need us to fight for him. If Christ's kingdom were from this world, his servants would fight to protect him like the Roman army fought to protect the Roman empire and the emperor. But Christ does not need his followers to defend him because he went to the cross willingly. And so since we are not here to fight, what is our responsibility as believers? At the end of verse 37, Jesus says, everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Do you belong to the truth? Do you hear the voice of the good shepherd and follow him? Jesus said, if I were from this world, we would fight. But as it is, we listen to the voice and follow. If we were from this world, we would only worry about me and mine. But as it is, we are not from this world, so we feed the hungry and clothe the naked and visit those who are in prison. If we were from this world, we would ignore those who offend us and just cut them off. But as it is, we are not from this world, and so we forgive as we are forgiven. If we were from this world, we would demonize those who disagree with us. But as it is, we are not from this world, so we learn to live peaceably with all people. And if we were, fr if we were from this world, we would throw tear gas at those fleeing poverty and oppression. But as it is, we are not from this world, and so we share the promise of liberation and help war-torn countries build new economies. We are a kingdom not from this world, so we operate differently, and the way that we follow is our witness that we are not from this world. So now that we're comfortable talking about a kingdom that's not from this world and we know how to operate as a people not from this world, we are ready to follow and testify of a king who is not from this world. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. We know that Jesus testified to the truth of God's kingdom, and that made him a threat to the establishment. Kings of this world protect and defend the establishment and what is theirs, their dominance, their wealth, their power and control. They tried to hold on to the things of this world, but Jesus came to disrupt all of that. Jesus, our Messiah, liberates us from fear, oppression, hatred, racism, sexism, misogyny, capitalism, exploitation, and injustice, but not necessarily in the way that we think he should or sometimes want him to. We know that he could bring down the army of heaven and shut this whole thing down, but that's not how he operates. 
Listen again to how our Old Testament reading describes the king. One who rules over people justly, ruling in the fear of God, is like the sun rising on a cloudless morning, is like the light of the morning gleaming from the rain on the grassy land. My brothers and sisters, that's a different kind of king. Have you ever watched the sunrise on a clear morning and seen the individual rays just beaming down? Have you closed your eyes and felt that warmth? Have you ever just closed your eyes and let the warmth just like wash over you in your face and seen the dew sparkle and just stop for a moment in awe? That's what it feels like to be in the presence of Christ, our King. Do the kings of this world make you feel that way? Who would you rather follow? I need a king that doesn't focus on protecting himself and his money and his power, but rather puts all of that aside to step into the reality of my circumstance and lets me know that there is more to life than what you see here. I know that heaven may feel like a far off place. I know that this world is hard and sometimes we long to be free of these earthly bodies so our souls can be united with God. We're living in a a world full of wars and rumors of nuclear war. We see storms that come and devastate entire islands. Fires are consuming homes and lives year after year. Cancer and disease are killing our friends and our family members. School shootings are taking the lives of our children. But, if Jesus, but Jesus says, if you could just open your heart to the possibility of who I am, if you can allow yourself to engage the mystery and believe that there is indeed a kingdom that is not of this world, he will change your perspective. So I ask again, is the hope of heaven, the hope of a kingdom that is not from this world enough to carry us through the struggles of life? If the truth of heaven was enough to get Jesus to to and through the cross, it must be enough for us. Christ suffered the excruciating pain of the cross, died and rose again to prove to us that there is life beyond what we can see here on earth. The kingdom was real for Jesus because he was there in full glory before coming to earth in the flesh And his goal is to make the kingdom real for us now. He gave us his life so that we could have this hope, so it must be worth it. He defied death through the resurrection, so we know that there is more to life than what we see here on earth. So what is your experience of the kingdom? Have you had encounters that are not of this world? Don't be afraid to talk about them and share them with others, for that is your witness. We have to speak on these things so others might share in this hope. Just as Jesus came to testify of the truth, so must we. Won't you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for how you transcend everything that we can imagine. How you quicken our hearts with your presence to let us know that you are real. For the glimpses of heaven that you give to us, for the hope that sustains us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to witness your glory, and we confess that we need your help to be a witness. Give us the courage to testify about who you are and what the hope of heaven is. And if there is one who does not know this hope, Lord, we pray that you would just give them the courage to ask about it and to wonder, how can I know this king who is not of this world? And pray that you would give us the courage to talk about it. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Amen.